This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today I've got a very special interview with Eric Metaxas. So he is the number one New York Times bestselling author. He's also a speaker and conservative radio show host. He's written biographies on Christian giants like William Wilberforce, Martin Luther, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Actually, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer book is on our book list, the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. It's an incredibly, incredibly important book. He's also written some comedy books, some children's books, and he even wrote a script for Veggie Tales, which I found out. But he's got a new book out this week. If you're listening to this on time, it came out Tuesday. Okay. It's called Is Atheism Dead? Okay. So this book is basically in response to what has been happening in the culture since the 60s, specifically since the 1966 Time Magazine article or Time Magazine cover, which basically asked, Is God dead? And this book is a tremendous breakdown of a lot of the things that we've just taken for granted in this more secularized culture that we live in. And we dig into a lot of those things. Now, guys, we didn't have a lot of time in this interview because he was in between interviews. This is release week. So we're just lucky that we even got to spend some time with him. We feel very, very thankful for that. But this guy, you're going to be shocked or maybe not shocked. A lot of the things that he said in his interview, just kind of off the cuff, are things that we talk about here all the time on this program, okay? I absolutely love my time with Eric Metaxas. We're going to be getting into uh, more things later on. We're going to have him on so we can have a more proper kind of long-form interview and dig in a little bit more. But guys, I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. Without further ado, let's get into it. Eric Metaxas, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Could I be happier? Thank you for having me on this podcast. I already like your audience from the description you just gave me. Hey, you know what? These these guys uh, love guys like you because you bring it whenever you write books. I mean, you write long, lengthy books, but there's a lot to it. There's a lot of meat there, but you're a very prolific writer. I mean, I think I counted 20 books since the mid nineties that you've been able to be a part of and put out. So the most generic way possible to start an interview, why did you become a writer? Well, there's certain things that you can't explain except to say, you know, since I'm a Christian, I see that the Lord created me to be a writer. There's just no question in my mind. I mean, I remember just being in high school, I didn't grow up in a writerly family. I mean, my folks are working class European immigrants. We weren't big readers, but I always had an affinity for words. When I was in high school, uh, I loved the humanities. When I got to college, I was like, this is what I want to do. Now, I didn't know what I wanted to write about. I was not walking with Jesus. I mean, I was just confused and stumbling through. And when I was really dramatically born again at age 25 in a dream, the Lord just got a hold of me 100%. And I knew that I wanted to write for his purposes, but I didn't even know what that meant. And so it's taken me a little while to figure it out, but um, it's just how he made me. There's no other way for me to, uh, to account for it. Well, you've written a lot of books with a lot of different publishing houses, but most of your books are, you know, if not overtly about God, they're tangentially about God, right? And so I think that's a, it's an impressive thing, but have you ever been asked to kind of stray outside of that calling? Has it ever even been an interest of you to go outside of that? Well, I mean, I want to glorify God with my gifts. And I sometimes I think we do that by not talking about God. Uh, or about, in other words, I think we, it, it, you know, like when I write a book about Bonhoeffer or, or Luther, or I, I mean, I wrote those books, my book, If You Can Keep It, 
I wrote those books, obviously, for people of faith, but also for people who are not on the same page as we are, so that when they read, they're interested in a historical figure like Luther. I mean, the man changed the world. Who was this guy? When you read that book, you know, it was reviewed in the New York Times. Now, if it had been like a faith, faith book, they wouldn't have even looked at it. Right. But they reviewed it because it was a biography. Of course, in the biography, I'm able to share the gospel five times because that's Luther's story. And so I really mix and match. Um, I have a lot of interest, but I mean, look, we know that all truth is of God. We know that uh, all goodness and truth and beauty points to Jesus. So the only question is the details. And I'm probably going to be writing a book on the discovery of the tomb of Odysseus in Greece, which overtly has nothing to do with the Lord. But a lot of times when I do stuff like that or on my radio program, if I interview somebody, you know, like Paul Anka or, or, or Rich Little or so, some, some celebrity, or I talk to somebody who's written, I wrote, I talked to somebody the other day, wrote a book about Truman Capote, the author. There's nothing ostensibly Christian about it. But part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to draw in people who wouldn't listen if we were talking apologetics. And so they listen and they're fascinated and maybe they'll listen to the next show and the next show will be about somebody who's experienced some crazy miracles or it'll be about uh, somebody who is, uh, you know, saving people from sex trafficking in the Philippines because of their Christian faith. So I, I deliberately mix and match because I feel like uh, it's an effective way of doing evangelism. So yeah, so there are times when I do things that seemingly have nothing to do with with the Lord, but in my mind, of course they do. Well, I think you've done a great job of kind of weaving those things together because another theme that kind of rides through a lot of your books, which I've taken a lot of them down, is manhood. So you wrote Seven Men and Seven More Men. You obviously did the biographies of William Wilberforce and Martin Luther and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. And uh, we have a book list on our website called The 100 Books Every Modern Christian Man Should Read. And that Bonhoeffer biography is on there in the in the biography section. It's an absolutely astounding book. But manhood and great men of history seem yeah. to be a point of interest for you. They certainly are for us here on our show as well. Well, yeah. And why? Because we're living in a time where anything of God is being deconstructed and destroyed. The enemy right. is on a warpath. And, and what do you attack if you hate God? You attack men because Jesus was a man. We pray to God the Father. There is something in that that touches God. And that if, if you want to attack fathers, if you want to attack men, you're hurting women and children when you do that. So if you love women and children, you need to understand that God's idea of manhood is everything. And that's been under attack. And the reason I wrote the book Seven Men is specifically because I said there's a war on men in the culture. And who does it hurt? It hurts women. It hurts children. You need to uh, understand what God's idea of a man is. And that's why I wrote Seven Men. I also wrote Seven More Men, which is obviously seven more men that fit in this category. Um, frankly, I think it's, it's at the heart of everything. Uh, and you know, we, we need to be about everything. This is all, you know, God calls us to different things. But when, when I thought of that, part of it was that I couldn't write, you know, I can't write three or 400 page, 500 page books about every one of these men. But I thought if I put seven short biographies in a book, people who don't read a ton, they would read that because those are short, you know, uh, shorter stories and we need to get the stories out. So, yeah. 
And they're good stories for men like me and, and men like everyone listening to this right now to grasp and wrap their heads around because we're in an age now where just the mention of masculinity is in and of itself toxic. And so I think it's good for us to kind of be able to attach to men like that and also to mimic men like that. And, and also to be, to be manly men and to trigger the people, be, you know, rejoice when you trigger them because it means you're over the target. Uh, being a manly man uh, is spiritual warfare. When you think about Jesus, I mean, he was a builder of houses, a carpenter. Uh, you know, the bravery, the heart of, of Jesus, the heart of some of the lions of the faith, that's who God wants us to be. And if you're living in a world where, where the faith has become feminized and when you have a Jezebelic spirit at war uh, in the culture, if you don't deal with that. If you don't go to war with that, God can't really use you. And so to me, this is a really central issue. That's how we love women. That's how we love children. Um, not by becoming like them, but become, but, but by becoming the men who God created us to be. You're speaking my language, Eric. Like this is all music to my ears, but I just got to tell you as a quick aside, you changed my view on manhood with the book Bonhoeffer's. And then we'll get into the new book here in just a second. But with that book, this is a guy that wasn't your typical, you know, masculine man, you know, no. this culturally masculine man, but the no. dude was a gangster. He tried to kill Hitler. And so I'm reading through this and this is this fairly effeminate pastorly type guy. That's yeah. like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to cut the head off the snake. And the, the snake happens to be chilling in Berlin right now. And I'm just yeah. like, man, just an incredible, incredible book. Oh, it's, it's so amazing too, because he, he really was, uh, I mean, the people who knew him described him as like athletic and sporty. He really was, but he was so cerebral right. that you don't get that part of it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it is, I mean, and, and that's the other thing too. We don't want to tell uh, every young man that, you know, you need to be uh, a martial arts fighter. That's garbage. That's worldly manhood. God's idea of manhood comprises all these things. Some of them are going to be bodybuilders. Some of them are going to be, you know, skinny, cerebral people, but it's the heart of a man that God is looking at. And, and I really think that, you know, that's another thing the culture does, right? It creates a caricature of toxic, toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And anything, what are you talking about? You know, when I, when I look at the men in uh, a lot of the movies that I watched uh, growing up, whether it's the fifties or the sixties or the seventies or in the sitcoms, you know, they, they were, some of them were elegant. They, you know, they're wearing a hat and a suit, but they were men. They acted like men. And I, and I really think that, um, that, that whole idea, the idea that you get a choice between being effeminate or being like, you know, a steroidal monster, like that's, that's garbage. God's idea of, of, of manhood, uh, is, is different. And we need to get that because not everybody is, you know, supposed to be a, 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 a you know, mixed martial artist fighter. At least I'm not. Well, yeah. we, we attack caricature manhood all the time because our definition at Undaunted Life of what a man is, is a male that cultivates spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis. So you could be into fighting and hunting and four-wheel drive trucks, or you can be into art, cooking, and poetry and do that. You can do that in both ways. But hey, we're going to get off on a tangent here. We don't have a lot of time. We've got to talk about the new book, Is Atheism Dead? Uh, I'm not the fastest reader in the world, but I took this book down in about three or four days. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. 
very accessible, even though it was incredibly, incredibly deep. But I love the description of the book that I read somewhere that it's basically an answer to the 1966 Time magazine cover, which posed the question, is God dead? And then we subsequently saw the, the deterioration of culture from there. So you break down evidence and arguments against the idea of a creatorless universe, right? Right. And you essentially are doing a full frontal assault on many of these atheist tropes concerning how everything came to be and why we're here. Is that a pretty good summary of what you set out to do with this book? Absolutely. In fact, it was the 1966 Time Magazine cover article, Is God Dead?, that made me think about this title. I said to myself, you know what? The evidence has piled up over the decades. And in the secular world in which we live, no one, including most Christians, even know about it. As I've discovered this evidence, I've been blown away. And I'm a kind of a guy, I'm all about communication. I I think like it doesn't matter what's true. Do people know that it's true? Does your average Christian Mm -hmm. know that the scientific evidence for God is mind blowing? Most of us don't bump into that information. And I said, in this book, I want to put the basics of it so that your average person who can read a book will say, oh my goodness, it's open and shut. Science in these last days is doing the thing that nobody dreamt could ever happen. It is pointing like a laser to God. Now, a lot of people, when they hear me say it, they go, that's just crazy. Read the book. I dare you to tell me I'm wrong because I know I'm not. There are so many arguments from science, whether you're talking about the Big Bang, the fine-tuned universe, or the abiogenesis stuff, which is like the most fascinating to me. It gets freaky. And, 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 and hardcore atheists, materialist, scientistic people that say there's only the material universe, if they look at this evidence, they are shaken. Don't kid yourself. They are shaken. They don't know where to go. They come up with insane, ridiculous anti-science ideas like the multiverse theory. Mm. That's called desperation. (laughs) I also deal with with evidence from archaeology. Most believers don't even know most of the evidence from archaeology. Archaeology for 170 years has been pointing to the truth of the Bible in a way that if you just look at the highlights, which I put in the book, you're going to say, how did I not know this? This is nuts. How did I even buy into the fact that my faith is, you know, intellectually questionable? On the contrary, uh, what's intellectually questionable is people who don't have your faith. And I'm not saying that to be triumphalist. I'm saying you need to just know that this is true. And at the end of the book, I talk about atheism itself and how the new atheists were so intellectually sloppy and they were allowed to get away with that in many ways by Christians who were kind of polite. And exactly. I thought exactly. sometimes being polite is is not loving. If somebody says something like insanely stupid, pointing that out is a loving thing to do. And a lot of the new atheists like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, these are brilliant men who, when it comes to philosophizing, are horrible. I could not get over how bad some of their writing and what they said was. It was it's embarrassing mm-hmm. to me. It would be it would be like if I went out and started to lecture on calculus. And people will be like, well, um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to embarrass him or whatever. Well, you're not doing somebody any favors if you let them blather like an idiot and sell books so that 10 years in the future, some guy like Eric Metaxas is going to read a couple paragraphs and say, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard. You know, like if you care about somebody, you're going to call them on what they're saying. And, and they said things that are so ridiculous. Now, what's interesting to me is there are 
one, one of the astounding things in this book, which again, half of the stuff that I discovered writing the book, but one of the most astounding things I discovered, which I still can't, almost can't believe, the two most famous atheists in the 20th century, or probably two of the most famous, is Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus, these French existentialists that were very honest about trying to figure out, we live in a world without God, what does that look like? How do we have ethics? How do we have a moral code? They tried to work that out. They were serious about it. They were not happy about it. You have people like Christopher Hitchens and Dawkins and company, they act like giddy that they think there's no God. If you're serious about this stuff, you're not giddy. You think this is bleak. Mm -hmm. Atheism is bleak. There's no meaning. There's no truth. There's no goodness. How do we get past this? Well, what I discovered was that those two men, and almost no one knows this, and that's why I think people are going to write about this. They're going to attack it. This is a fact. These two men that took atheism more seriously than almost anybody at the end of their lives independently, one in 1960, the other in 1980, came to faith in God. That is a headline. That is like loony stuff that we don't know this. How do we not know that these people who wrote books that are being read in colleges today uh, on this philosophy, this atheist philosophy, both of them came to believe in something dramatically opposite of what they were writing in those books. That's why I wrote this book. I said, I've got to get this information out. So I'm begging anybody listening, please buy a copy now because the secular world tries to crush this stuff. If it doesn't get out of the gate, which is like this week with big numbers, it doesn't hit any bestseller list and it goes away. So I, I just beg you, if you think you'll buy a copy, please buy a copy like now. Uh, and on my website, which is ericmetaxas.com, um, if you scroll down on the page, the book page, there are some links where it's literally 45% off. That goes away at the end of this week. So please take advantage. Um, uh, it is, it's just important to share this on social media. I, I really believe the Lord led me to write this book. It wasn't some brilliant idea I had. And I just... I, let me put it this way. I know he's going to use it. So I'll leave it at that. Well, I think it, it's a it's a great deal. And we have that in the show notes for you guys. So you can go and check that out yourself. Again, this is coming out the week of the release of the book. So make sure that you do that. It's a very, very important book. And guys, in order to get into some of the scientific arguments that you talked about, Eric, you know, you have to get into the books. You give a lot of detail. Same thing with the archaeology. But I want to skip to the third part, which you alluded to, the third part of the book where you're talking about some of these atheists. There was one particular quote. There were several, but I, I had to pick one just so that we could talk about it right now. So I want to read it to you here and get a little bit more context. Before 1991, the Oxford mathematician John Lennox traveled innumerable times to the Soviet Union and to Soviet bloc countries. Since the fall of the Soviet Union, he has gone back and spoken with those who once believed that communism might be a good thing, who thought that atheism could bring about a better world. We thought we could get rid of God, they said to him, and retain a value of human beings. We were wrong. We destroyed both God and man. I feel like that one quote that, that we get from, you know, John, John Lennox, the great mathematician, somewhat summarizes that third portion of the book, which yeah. is this utopianistic idea yeah. as to what society can be as fallible humans and what we can create is absolutely bankrupt. Oh, it is. I mean, there's so much like that. And by the way, I say to people, if you want to read the last third of the book first, like that's sort of some of the more entertaining writing, mm -hmm. feel free. Uh, I just, I thank God, I thank the Lord that, that he allowed me to put this book together. I think it's going to arm the body in a way that 
we need at this dark time. And he's going to use it for his purposes. Uh, and, and I believe revival is coming. And this is, this is just a part of it, but it's, uh, it, it is, it's an important part. And I, I'm like humbled that I get to, 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 to put this information out there. Well, you spent a lot of time in that last section, kind of taking away the foundations of what a lot of, especially the new atheists, but then just kind of our more secular culture has come to be. But as you were doing this as an intellectually honest person, which I'm assuming that you are, I'm sure you came across arguments that were a little bit vexing even for you. And so the thing that I was curious about while reading this, just being a little bit cynical, is what is the best atheist argument for a creatorless universe, in your opinion? I I don't think it's possible to believe that the universe is creatorless, period. What I do see is the atheist point of view. In other words, the questions that smart people have saying like, a lot of this doesn't make any sense. Like a lot of this, what you believe sounds insane to me. Uh, the whole idea of uh, this infinite being creating the universe, who is this infinite being? Where did he come from? What It just sounds nuts and I'm not having it. I get that. I get that emotionally. I feel that myself sometimes. So I think we have to be honest that people have good questions and good objections, but on the facts, I think we're at a place now where we just have to go, you know what, this might sound crazy, but the alternative definitely sounds crazier. And if I want to be logical, I'm going to have to go with this crazy because this crazy has the facts backing it up, or at least has way more of the facts backing it up. So I'm, I say that very sincerely. I think it's a fantastic read, guys. I mean, again, it gets a little heady in different sections, and I'm I'm a very straight from the beginning to the end type person. So even though you encouraged us to jump around, I just can't do that. I got to stay in my lane. I got to go from beginning to end and read every single word. But I know, and you've alluded to some future projects. You know, the the tomb of Odysseus and different things like that. But what can you tell us about other things that you're going to be working on in the future? Do you have any other big biographies coming up? What can we expect from you in the future? Well, um, I. I want to write a sequel. My last book before this is called Fish Out of Water, which is the story of my life up until I came to faith. And a lot of it is just really funny. If you just want a funny read, uh, which, you know, it touches on the important questions, but there's a lot of humor in it. And it ends with my coming to faith. And, and it's, it's a good book if you just want to get away from, you know, all this heavy stuff. But it ends with my coming to faith. And I want to write the sequel which starts with me coming to faith and all the experiences, many of them genuinely miraculous that I have had uh, that tell that story. I think it will also be a fun read, but it's going to blow some people's minds because I've experienced real miracles. And I don't say that lightly. And I, and I want to express that in a journalistic uh, literary way. So uh, that book and the Odysseus book are probably the next ones I'm working on. I'm working on, raising money uh, to fund Socrates in the city because I want to do that like practically every week. There are a lot of projects. Uh, my If You Can Keep It book, I want to turn that into a, you know, a, a video series because mm -hmm. not everybody's a big reader. So a lot of that stuff I'm working on too, but uh, I, I praise God I get to do it. Well, we'll make sure that we can have you back on at some point to go into more detail on some of those things. But I did have a couple of ideas because you didn't ask me for advice, but I'm going to give you some. There are a couple of biographies that I uh -oh. think Eric Metaxas needs go to write. It. Okay. So St. Patrick and St. Yeah. Nicholas. 
Those yeah. are two very, very culturally significant men that most people have no idea who these men really were. The St. Nicholas, you want to talk about a gangster? We were talking about Bonhoeffer already. I mean, those two guys are absolutely Listen, incredible. I wrote a children's book about St. Patrick that has not yet been published. Okay, there you go. We're on In the case you think it's easy to get published, I can't get published. St. Nicholas, same thing. I didn't write a book about it, but those are two awesome ideas. I don't say this. A lot of times people have ideas and I go, sorry, I'm not writing a biography on John Calvin. <laughs> yeah. But let me tell you, those are great ideas. So let me say thank you. And I'm going to actually pray about that. I appreciate that. Okay. Sounds good. I know we're running up against time, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, just please sign up for my newsletter, ericmetaxas.com. I'm having trouble. You know, I was canceled on YouTube. Just sign up for my newsletter and we'll send you just all this stuff, interviews like this and interviews that I do with really amazing people on my on my radio show and stuff and podcast and TV show. So just go to ericmetaxas.com and sign up. And thank you for having me. This was fun. All right, guys, that'll all be in the show notes. Eric Metaxas, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Anytime, we'll do it again. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Eric Metaxas. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, at Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. And specifically, we do that with content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So we've got the link to Eric's website. So that's where he said that where you can go and get like 40 or 45% off on the book. So you can check that out there and on some of the other links that he was talking about. Also, we've got a link in his website. So if you have trouble finding it, I've got the link for you just to go to Is Atheism Dead? So if you want to pick that up, I can go to it right there. You can just basically click the link, get right to it. And then also I've got a link to his radio show, the Eric Metaxas radio show. So you can follow along with that as well. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook. And you can check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way just go to www.undaunted.life and we want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content the intro outro track on this podcast is their song cutting the ties which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah 